this morning. Getting ready, we're in Psalms 23 still. Once I get someplace, I'm just there. I'm not stuck there, but I was thinking about uh, the first time I remember intentionally sitting down and reading my Bible. I was in junior high. Um, and of course, up to that point, I was, I was raised in church, memorized scripture, you know, but it was bitsy piecey stuff. Sunday school, hear things here, there. Never sat down and just read. And I remember I had come home from camp, and of course they said, you know, read the book of John. So I picked up and I started reading the book of John, and I'm like, man, this is like a foreign language to me. What is this? And and over time, years and years and years of just um, reading and listening, you know, I think that's that's reading is half. Le- reading's about twenty five percent. Listening's about seventy five percent. Years and years of reading and listening, and um, I love the scripture. I love what it says. Um, I I like to teach scripture. So when I go to scripture, I just can't skip over things. It's like, did you know that was there? Like, did you ever notice this before? And that's kind of like Psalms 23 is doing that to me as we go through. This is one of those Psalms that, um, you know, if you asked me to quote a Psalm, it would probably be Psalm 23. Maybe not because it was my favorite psalm, but because I just know it. I've heard it. I've been so many places where I've seen it, and um, but there's so much more in it than what we get. And so yesterday as I was getting ready, I'm like, wow, I, uh, we didn't touch on that. That would be interesting. So Psalms 23, verse 1, a psalm of David. Now, I haven't spent any time on that, and you go, Pastor Brent, you're wasting our time. You're wasting our time like you're making up a sermon now. Yeah, yeah, we can read that. Uh, all right, it, it defines authorship, who wrote this psalm, a psalm of David. But even that, there's just times the Spirit of God goes, why is that there? Why is that there? It needs to matter. I don't just throw in words to take up space. Why did they put in the authorship Why did the Spirit of God see to it that the authorship of this psalm was in there? Um, And I I just, I had this thought, because I'm human, and I think you're probably human, and as humans, we do things a certain way, or I do, anyway. And I, I just put here, if I were going to seek out a person to mentor me in a life skill, Wouldn't I find my time best spent studying the materials of a person recognized at the highest levels as an accomplished, active participant? Right? You're going to study something. You want to be mentored in something. Would you go find the guy that doesn't know much? Or would you look for materials from somebody that, like, yeah, they're recognized at the highest level as a person who's accomplished and active in this area? They're not, they're not you know, I, I know a lot of people that know a lot about football, 
but they've never thrown one. <laughs> That's not the person that I would go talk to if I wanted to learn how to play football because I don't really know how to play football. And if, if, if I were going to learn how to, um, um, you know, repelling or something like that, I, there are people who have probably gone to school and they can tell you every aspect of repelling, but they've never put on a belay. They, they don't, they've never touched a carabiner. That's not the person I'm going to go ask, hey, would you teach me how to do this? Because as I was falling down the cliff, they'd go, oh, yeah, I remember that now. <laughs> right? And so, so here we are in a, in, a, in a psalm with David, and we're told that David wrote this psalm. And I wanted to read you just a couple. I don't have these up on the screen, but I want to read you a couple of passages of Scripture to talk about David. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14. And, and this is Samuel talking to Saul. And he says, But now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has appointed him ruler over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And then in Acts, chapter 13, verse 22, Paul says this. He's, he's speaking about Saul, and he says, After God had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do my will. More than anything else that I want to do while I live on this planet is to be in the practice of becoming a person after the heart of God. More than anything else I do, um, it, the Spirit of God spoke to me one time. He says, if I have your heart, there's nothing I can't do with you, right? If I have your heart, there's nothing, there's nothing we can't do because you will follow me. You will do my will. Isn't, isn't that what God said about David? He's a man after my heart because he will do my will. There's nothing that I want to accomplish or do, anything more than that, while I live here. I like what uh, D.L. Moody said. Uh, he said, your greatest fears should not be a failure, but rather at becoming good at something that doesn't matter. Boy, we can get good at a lot of things that don't matter. My greatest desire, God, I want, to, I want to be a person after your heart. I want to do your will. And David is recognized at the highest level by God himself as a person who is after his heart and who does his will. And so if I'm going to look at something and, and go, how, how, you know, I, I want to study this as a practice. Like, this isn't just truth. This is livable right? Don't, don't, don't ever look at scripture as just something to learn. It's something to live, something to live. It's not just truth. It's livable. It, it was meant to be lived in our lives. And so we have David who's recognized by God. And David writes this Psalm as a pattern of living. And I go, I want to pay attention to this because 
God recognized David as a man after his own heart. And here we have a reflection of David's life and his relationship to God. And this is something that I want to learn to practice. There's more in here than what I get at first glance, right? That's, that's the way I feel about most scripture. There's so much more in there than what we get at first glance. Uh, and it's not a matter of, of studying, 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 but to read and then to stop and to listen. Say, God, what are, what are you saying here? And so um, I, I, just, I just wanted to draw that out because this psalm, Psalm 23, was not penned primarily to give comfort in times of loss. It's funny, I've, I've, if I had to say, where, where do I hear this the most? It's at memorial services, right? Right? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Okay, all right, I get it. Yep, I need a shepherd there. But sometimes the valley of the shadow of death doesn't look like a casket or an urn. Um, sometimes it's the loss of friendship. Sometimes it's the loss of a job. Sometimes it's life, right? And uh, so this was not, this, this psalm was not penned um, just, just to give comfort in times of loss. Rather, it gives us hope every day as we practice being people after the heart of our God. That's what it's there for. And so uh, we want to draw that out. So let's get on with it. All right, there we go. That's all the time I'm going to spend on a psalm of David, right? It's there. I, you know, you want to know what I do when I see, I delete that when I, I see that, I get that out of there. That's extra words in my word count at the end, right? Every time, you want to know what I do as soon as I'm done with the service? So I do it in one program, I take it out, I put it in another program, and there's a word count at the bottom. And like, I, I had somebody tell me, it's easy to do a two-hour sermon, but try to really say what you got to say in 10 minutes. <laughs> Right? To, to, be a, to be a, really, to be a, an effective communicator, sometimes that's all you get. You guys are gracious, you give me more than that. But anyway, that, those words go against my word count, so I take them out of there. And yesterday, I'm about ready to delete that. God goes, why is that there? Why is that there? He goes, doesn't, doesn't that tell you you're in the right place? You're in the right place if you want to do my will if you want to have a heart after me. Pay attention to what David said because this is a reflection of his practice, of his practice. This isn't just knowledge from David's head. This is the practice of his life. And we're looking at that. So Psalms 23, uh, we've, we've, we've taken just about every piece of verse 1 and 2, and so I'll just read through them and read through verse 3. Psalm of David, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. If you haven't got to hear any of that, I did like seven sermons on those two sentences. There's so much in there. Third, verse three, he restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Well, in Pastor Brent fashion, the first thing that he restores my soul. He restores my soul. I don't want to just breeze over that because it's one of the elements of the shepherd's care. One of the things he does, there's so much more there than what initially meets the eye. Um, I'd never paid any attention to that particular part 
of this passage of Scripture until this past summer. And I begin to pray that. I begin to really, as a, as a, this, this in the, the, the first two verses deal with identity. They tell us, you know, how, how God, the shepherd begins to care for us. But this for the sheep, right, is really a, 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 a piece of work. It's a, it's a promise. It's a, it's a place of thanksgiving. It's a, it's a place of comfort. He restores my soul. I began to pray this summer when I would go through this and I would just read this out loud and I would stop there. And I would say, God, thank you that you care about my soul. Now, soul is a funny word. I did a little study on this. And um, there's a Hebrew word that we translate soul, but the, the fact is that the Hebrew word that's used, and I'll, I'll get to what it is in a minute, but there's no good translation for it. Like nothing in the Latin, the Greek, or the English is a direct translation for the word that the Hebrews use for, that we translate soul. And so soul shows up in a lot of places, and it's not always the best rendering. It, it can mean so many things, but I want to look at what it is here and, and how it's used because he restores my soul. And, and what is this soul that David points to as needing restored? Now, um, growing up, I heard it simplified, maybe simplified too much, but I'll throw it out there just because um, we are a spirit right? The Spirit of God, when a person passes, the Spirit leaves the body and returns to the one that gave it. We are a spirit. We live in a body, right? It's my space suit. Uh, uh, I, had a, I have a friend who, um, I don't know if it was the name of a band or a song, but they called them um, stupid human suits, right? So, <laughs> there it is. And so, we are a spirit, we have a body, but God gave us a soul. He gave us a soul, and some would say that it's the mind, will, and emotions of a person, their inner self, their faculties of reasoning and choosing, and I would agree that the soul includes those things, but the soul cannot be boiled down to a simple list of ingredients because it's so much more. It's so much more. The Hebrew word used here, translated soul is nefesh, nefesh. And in Psalms 23, there's no, again, no good English translation. But nefesh encompasses the essence of life. I'm going to refer to it a lot. When we talk about soul, it's the essence of life. It's, it's what makes me alive. It's what makes me alive. It's the soul. Is it, is it my mind, will, and emotions? Yes, it is. But there's so many things that touch the soul. Um, if, if you've ever felt down in the dumps over something, that's a, that's a soul issue. If you've ever been anxious about it, that's a soul issue. And what happens in the soul makes its way into the physical body, right? It affects the physical body. And the psalmist says, the Lord cares about my soul. He cares about who I am. He cares about what I feel. He cares about what 
touches me inwardly, cares about what moves me, cares about what makes me anxious, and he understands how all that works together and what makes me tick. He restores my soul. So it encompasses the essence of life. And in the psalm, when he says he restores, it refers to a quality that can fly away, as it were, and one that needs to be refreshed and strengthened among the dryness and heat of trial and temptation. So that's, that's all in this, this little word soul and, and what it's pointing to. So you can see there's no, not a good word, right, to draw that out. But I'll read that to you again. It encompasses the essence of life, and it's a quality that can fly away and one that needs to be refreshed and strengthened among the dryness and heat of trial and temptation. Um, it's, it's a quality that when I, when I sense it evading me, my soul has been touched. You know, so many times we can feel, man, I feel like I'm, I'm lacking in faith. And really it's not a lacking of faith. The, the, the faith is shown in what I do in those moments when my soul has been impacted, when the essence of life seems to be evading me. I can't seem to find it no matter what I do. Something's off. Something's off. That's what we say. My soul is being pressed upon. The essence of life is being touched. And I want to look at some descriptives of the soul because it says he refreshes my soul. What's he talking about? I want to look at some descriptives that scripture uses to describe how the soul affects the essence of our living. Um, very interesting that the, the, the poetic books, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Lamentations, contain the most references to soul. In the Old Testament, there's, I think, 780 times nefesh is used in the Old Testament. 115 of those is in Psalms. And Psalms, if you read Psalms, I mean, the word soul, I couldn't believe how many times, just about every psalm has at least, well, I shouldn't say every psalm, but a lot of them have a lot of references to the soul. But psalm was the crying out of people, right? It's the inner coming out and, and, and it being written down, talking about the soul and what's going on on the inside. So let's, let's look at some of these. Psalms 42, read verses 1 through 5. For the choir director, must be for Bobby. See, I left it in there. <laughs> Went against my word count. Uh, I, I don't even know what I'm, I'm a skill of the sons of Korah. But can I stop there? Anybody remember Korah? Remember what happened to Korah? Korah was a, one of the families of the priests who challenged Moses and the earth opened up. And I, I thought every one of them went down into the earth alive, but actually there must have been some left, right? I, I asked a guy about this who had studied this, and he goes, yeah, you will find that Korah, the sons of Korah, have a very reverential awe of God when they write because, like, their family had some history of what happens 
when you, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God, right? They understood that. So they're the ones that wrote this. Look what they said. As a deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. Verse 2, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all day, where is your God? These things I remember and I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God where the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude keeping festival. Verse 5, why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I again shall praise him for the help of his presence. Uh, a lot in there, I, I won't spend a time a lot of it. I, I just want to draw a couple of things out because there's some, something neat that I want you to see. But I, I, can you associate with any of these descriptives of the soul? Thirsty, panting. Um, when we were in Israel and we were down around the Dead Sea, down in the desert, you know, um, I, we saw the ibex. Ibex are a, like a cross between a goat and a deer. And an, an ibex is probably, very likely, the ram that was caught in the thicket that, that was sacrificed rather than Isaac, is the ibex. Um, but these, these little critters, and you'd see them, and we were there on a fairly cool day, but not a lot of water, a lot of rock, a lot of heat. And I can understand how a deer would pant for the water brook, right? Um, in a dry and weary land where there is no water. My soul thirsts for you. Um, thirsty, panting, disturbed. Your, can you relate to that? Your soul ever been disturbed or in despair? It's just that feeling that gets down in your gut that you can't get out. My soul, the essence of life, evades me. These are conditions that the essence of living can succumb to. And I, and I put here, have... I don't, I don't, have any of you really been thirsty? Now, I thought I had been thirsty, okay? I thought I had been thirsty, but then I had a guy that called himself my friend, took me on a hike, and uh, this was quite a while ago. This wasn't anything recent. I don't even know that any of you people know this guy, and he took me on the Highline Trail, and we started at the Loop, and we walked up to Logan Pass, and I uh, misjudged how much water I was going to need. And about halfway through, I ran out of water. And it was one of those days, the sun's beating down, and I began to melt snow and try to get water. But the closer we got to Logan Pass, I began to have a desperation for water that I had never experienced in my life. And, and I began to think, do I have money on me? Can I buy water <laughs> from a passerby? I mean, I, I had never been to that point of thirst where I became Desperate, and when we got to Logan Pass, literally, I'm making a beeline for the concrete building that I know is a bathroom. There's got to be a water fountain there, and and a, a park ranger is trying to stop us and talk to us because come to find out they had just opened the trail that day. We didn't know that, and like she wanted to know how 
it was coming across, and the other guy's talking to her, and I'm running. And I get up, and just before I get there, this little kid steps to the water fountain. And he's there just kind of playing, and I'm ready to remove him. I am desperate. I mean, I've never been. I had never experienced that before in my life. And he finally moved, and I step up, and I push the button, and the water is coming out, and I go to take a drink. And out of my ear, I hear a toilet flush, and the water goes. (laughs) I know you're not supposed to put your lips on the deal, but, man, I was sucking. (laughs) Give me something. A thirst, a thirst of soul. Nothing was going to quench that thirst but a cool drink of water. And there is nothing that can quench the thirst or the despair or the ache but God. Nothing. Nothing. He restores my soul. The psalmist looks to a time of refreshing for his soul in the presence of God. Deuteronomy 26.16. The day the Lord your God commanded you to do these statutes, this day the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and ordinances, you shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart and with all your soul. The soul has a direct effect on how we are responding to God. Now, again, we're just kind of back looking at the soul. And interesting, you would, maybe in the back of your head, you're hearing what Jesus said when he was questioned about the greatest command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. The soul has a direct effect on how we are responding to God. And so if it is diminished, if the essence of light is life is fleeting, we begin to respond differently to a lot of things. I respond different to my spouse. I respond different to my friends. I respond different to the traffic. I respond different to financial news. And I certainly respond different to God, right? Um, Why do you say that? Because sometimes I have to understand, I, I, I misinterpret the heaviness of my soul for the absence of God, and nothing could be farther from the truth. God knows that my soul is affected, and he draws near to refresh me, but sometimes I respond poorly. I respond because my soul has a direct effect on how I respond to God. And God told him this. He goes, don't don't just obey me with your head, but obey me with all that you are, with your strength and your soul. Deuteronomy 28.65. Interesting, among those nations you will find no rest. Uh, Still, so this this is the Lord speaking through Moses to the nation of Israel before Moses is getting ready to leave. This is where you find the the blessings and the cursings, uh, the two mountains. They're, They're getting ready to go into the promised land. And Moses is speaking to the nation of Israel, and he goes, remember this, like if you disobey God, now he's going to talk to him about disobedience. Among those nations, so he's talking about they'd be deported and sent away. Among those nations, you shall find no rest. There will be no resting place for the sole of your foot. But there the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing eyes, and despair of soul. 
I put here, a continual wandering from God makes the soul sick. Now, we're just considering the soul, but I thought that was very interesting as I looked at that, that our absence, our neglect of the presence of God in our lives daily makes our soul sick. And he says that we would have a despair of soul. Um, have any of you ever watched Anna Green Gables? Marilla, you remember what she said about despair? Child, to despair is to turn one's back on God. Literally, that's true. Despair comes from, right? Now, now there, I'm not saying there, there's been time, I mean that every time I experience despair, but but understand that because it gives a, a new light into something else on Scripture. And I, I put here, have you ever um, considered what's eating at someone who has everything earthly, but the essence of living evades them? You ever met somebody like that? You know, I can't help but think of Robin Williams. I, I, I just, here's a guy who... Famous, on the outside funny. I mean, not saying everything he did was right. I'm just saying, it, like the movie RV, I got to watch it again and again and again. Um, in, in the eyes of the world, had everything, yet the essence of life evaded him to the point of suicide. Have you ever wondered? People go, what's wrong? Well, I'll tell you, the essence of life is missing because absence... And neglect of the presence of Lord leads to sickness in the soul. It leads to a despair. The essence of life evades us in our soul. And it gives a whole new insight to Matthew, 20, or Matthew 16, verse 26. And put it up. Listen to what it says. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? That's not just talking about eternity. That's talking about here. When I neglect the ever-present God for what this world offers, my soul will become sick and despair will become the flavor of life as the essence of life evades me. I don't want to live there, but that's the soul. What can a man give in exchange for his soul? He finishes up by saying, I was always, there are consequences both here and there. Right? Right? Both here and there. Um, man, he restores my soul. I would just stop and say, God, thank you that you care about my soul. The soul is kind of a fickle thing. It's, it's, it's hard to, it's the hardest part of life to keep organized and in line, right? It's like chaining cats and dogs together. It's just, it's usually something going on, right? All right. Um, Psalms chapter six, verses two through four. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am pining away. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are dismayed and my soul is greatly dismayed. But you, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord. Rescue my soul. Save me because of your loving kindness. 
And Psalmist says, I'm pining away. Have you ever felt like that on the inside? You know, just, uh, just, just pining away. Life's passing me by. The essence of life, I just, I just, this is probably the crux of every type of crisis we have in our life. God, my soul, it, it has great power to move me in wrong directions. I'm pining away. The essence of life has flown away. Lord, return and rescue my soul. I'm just drawing up a lot of pictures of what we can experience in the soul, this essence of life. I'm refreshed to know that God cares about the essence of life in me and in you. And he knows about our weariness and thirsting and pining and despair. And that the shepherd moves to restore us. Look at Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Our shepherd Jesus says this. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. That's a soul term, right? I love being tired after a hard day's work. Don't you? I mean, I... I not, not to the point of pain, but when I've been out and I've worked and I come home and I have supper and I sit down and my body just, it's like there's just this release and it's like, man, I'm going to go lay down. I'm going to get a good night's sleep. He's not talking about that. What's he talking about? He's talking about the essence of life is evading you and there's just this despair. There's this pining. There's this, this weightiness. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me. Learn from me. Okay, this isn't come to me and I'll make everything better. Jesus says, come and learn from me. Come and learn to practice life my way. Let me be your shepherd. And look at the promise. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. He restores my soul. He cares. He does care. I, 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 you know, I got, I got, when I was growing up, I kind of had the sense that God didn't care about those things. And like, if I was really a good Christian, I'd just get better. Like, quit doing that. Come on, pull up your boots. Let's get going. No, there are just sometimes that my soul is worn thin. The essence of life is, is fleeing away. And it's at those times I begin to ask all the questions. And I go, what did I do wrong? I didn't do anything wrong. I have a soul. And it gets thin, and God cares. And he goes, I know your soul needs restored, but there's only one way that can be restored, and that's, that's in my presence. It's in my presence. Let me, let me guide you. Let me cause you to lie down. Let me cause you to rest. Let me lead you beside the still waters because I want to restore your soul. I want to restore your soul. I intentionally saved this one for last, Psalm 1610, and this <clears throat> leads up to where we'll go next week. I promise I won't go too far down the trail today, but I, I want you to get this. So Psalm 1610 and 11, this is a messianic psalm, it speaks about, about Jesus, but it also speaks about us. And so you'll see in verse 10, for you will not abandon my soul to the place of death, Sheol. It's that, that place of death. You will not abandon my soul to the place of death. Very interesting. Soul is the essence of life. You will not abandon the essence of my life to death. 
nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make me to know the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. And so here you have this contrast of the soul that feels like it's going to die and the fullness of joy and life that we find in his presence for the soul as well. Right? Right? This is the, it's the picture. It's, it's, two, it's two pictures that were put up to consider. You will not abandon my soul to death, but you will make me to know the path of life. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. We've heard that already someplace today. You won't, you won't abandon my soul to death, jewel to make me to know the path of life. I, I, let's go back to Psalms 23.3 for a minute. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It doesn't say the same thing. Well, wait a minute. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 16. Look at what it says. The wages of the righteous is life. But the income of the wicked is punishment. If the shepherd leads me in paths of righteousness, then by default, he leads me in a path of life. Right? That's, 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 that's what it says in, the, in, in Psalm 16. It says, you will make known to me the path of life. In Psalm 23, it says, you will lead me in paths of righteousness. The wages of righteousness is life. Um, very interesting. It says that righteousness is a tree of life to those who find her. Scripture says that the effects of righteousness is healing, right? This is an amazing path that God's leading us in. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The shepherd restores my soul. He restores the essence of my life as he leads me in paths of righteousness. And, and what is righteousness? I actually put it up on the screen for you today. I want you to get this. Righteousness in any matter under consideration is how God sees it. He leads me in paths of how he sees it. Now consider that for a minute because when my soul is in despair or when I'm pining or when I'm anxious, I'm looking at life through a lens, right? Right, I'm seeing life through a lens. And David says, listen, God restores my life as he leads me in paths of how he sees it, not how I see it. You don't know how many times I've stopped and just prayed and said, God, you know the condition of my heart. You know the condition of my soul. You know that this is weighing on me, but it's because of how I see it. Would you help me to see this situation the way you see it? Would you help me to see this through your eyes? Because I know that if you lead me in that path, you are in the process of restoring my soul, that you are restoring the essence of life. This feels like it's taking life, but you are giving life. Help me to see it how you see it. 
When the essence of life has flown away and I'm thirsty, pining, desperate, feeling like I'm dying inside and in need of rescue, I can ask the shepherd to lead me in how he sees it, to lead me in the path of righteousness. And he will do it, not because I in any way have earned it, but because and for the sake of his name. I'm so glad that's on the end. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. If you were to read that in the Amplified, it would say, not for my earning it, but for his name's sake. You see, the shepherd is known for what he does. And the shepherd restores my soul. That's what he does. That's what he does. He restores soul. Not only does he save them, did he save you for a life of misery? Sometimes it feels like it. I go, I tell people all the time, I, I, I know. I, my soul tells me, uh, I know God didn't bring me here to kill me. I know he didn't. God, help me to see this how you see it, because I'm struggling looking through my lens. Like, it doesn't look good looking through my lens. But I know that you're active and you're doing something. And if I'll let you lead me, you will restore my soul as you help me to see it the way you see it. will bring the essence of life will return. Because now I'm in your presence, enjoying what you're doing, looking to you and not living on my own understanding. The shepherd restores the soul. The shepherd gives the essence of life to the flock for the sake of his name. What would it say about the shepherd? Right? We, this is a stupid question. <laughs> maybe, maybe this is why so many people think so poorly of our shepherd. Because we really don't let him lead us. Our soul gets sick, and then we just claim his name. I go, I don't need any of that. I got plenty of that myself. <laughs> Your soul is as sick as mine. Come. You're weary, you're heavy laden, you're tired of doing it that way. I know your soul is worn thin. Let me restore you, but you're not going to get it done working in your own understanding. Come here, come here, draw near in my presence. This fullness of joy and pleasures at my right hand forevermore. Is it any wonder David invokes the name of the shepherd over his life and submits himself? to his leading. We're going to talk a lot more about righteousness, the path of righteousness. There's, there's so much more. Um, we'll spend all of next week just on righteousness, and, and it, it is how God sees it, but it, it is involved in so many areas of, of life. Um, but for nothing else, to leave with, the fact that you can just stop and go, God, my soul is heavy. I feel it. Maybe it's been a day. Maybe it's been two days. Maybe it's been a month. Maybe it's been 10 years. I don't know. Some seasons are long. God, my soul is heavy, but you said that you would restore my soul. So I'm not looking for you to wave a wand over me and make everything better. But I'm asking you to heal my eyes. Would you help me to begin to see how you see? Would you give me 
eyes to see, ears to hear, heart to understand what you're doing so that you can restore my soul. Wasn't wasn't that Jesus' promise in the Sermon on the Mount? But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all of these other things he can take care of. Right? Seek, Seek how God sees it. Look for his kingdom and how he sees it. And he'll take care of all these other things. John chapter 10, verses 10 and 11. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Isn't that that interesting? He understands here on earth, right? God's definitely not flat. He, he, he deals with things here. He deals with things there. He deals with the temporary life we live here, and he dealt with the eternal life that we'll live there. He, he did it all. He did it all. But I'm here right now. I got to live right now. I need to represent him right now. I, I have a life to live here. And if I'm going to be a person after his heart, then I want to know what that practice looks like. And Jesus said, listen, I'm, I'm the good shepherd. I came that you would have life, okay? Life here and life there. Now, when the essence of life here evades me, when it flies away, as the psalmist said, you restore my soul. It's the bringing back of something that has flown away, the essence of life. Jesus said, I came that you would have life and have it to the full. Isn't that so interesting? John chapter 10 that whole chapter just about is devoted to the imagery of the shepherd in our lives. He said, I am. Matter of fact, it closes in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. It's what he does. It's what he does. He restores my soul. And so to be able to go away, because... I do this often now. I sit down when I feel heavy or just uncertain rather than scrambling for all the answers. I'll start with, God, I thank you that you care about what I'm experiencing right here. You care about my soul. You care about my soul. You know you created me with it. And you want to restore my soul, but the restoration of my soul is in the path of how you see it. So lead me there for your namesake. Because this is what the shepherd does. This is what the shepherd does. He came and he laid down his life for the flock, for me. And now he's seated with the Father at the right hand in heaven. It says, fix your eyes on him. Jesus, I got my eyes on you. Lead me in a path of righteousness. Restore my soul. Amen. Father, we thank you for your great care, for your love, for your compassion. We thank you that you know the struggles of the soul and the, the weightiness and the heaviness that 
comes from this life, God, when we feel like the essence of life has flown away. The joy and the peace, contentment. But you are a God who has given us a life. You are the only one who gives hope beyond our external circumstances. God, you are the only one. For in your presence is fullness of joy and pleasures at your right hand forevermore. Spirit of God, we're asking that you would lead us in that. God, that in those times, um, we've been conditioned to act certain ways. God, when we feel the despair of our soul, this world has conditioned us to spend or to use or to watch, to run. Spirit of Christ, would you help us to turn towards you and say, oh God, would you help me to see this how you see it? Would you lead me in the path of how you see it? As I walk with you in your presence, God, thank you that you're not distant from me. Because in your presence, God, I find that life returns. Joy returns and peace returns. May the God of all hope fulfill you with joy and peace as you trust in him. That you would abound with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit who works in you. Saturate our lives again today. Lead us. Cause us to lie down in the green pasture of your will. Lead us beside the still waters of the Spirit of Christ who wells up within us and becomes a spring of living water. Thank you that you are a shepherd. Teach us how to practice living the life of the sheep. We thank you for it. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. What's that? Bunch of snacks. Bunch of snacks.